What's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Jay Think Ill, the host of Conversations with Jay, which is now streaming exclusively on the Illinois app. Go download that so you can check me out. Yeah, I like that. Welcome back to another episode of Conversations with Jay. I got a special guest in the building. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey, y'all. Hey, uh, my name is Kia. I am known on Instagram and everywhere else on social media as Kia Smith Writes. And I'm an author. All right. So did you always want to be an author or that was just something that just happened? No, I always wanted to be an author. Um, I've been writing since, like, probably the first story I ever wrote was probably in, like, first or second grade. And I was one of those kids who, like, always used to fill up notebooks and stuff with, like, just different short stories. And so I always knew that I was going to write books. I just never knew when. And um, I started writing my book uh, two years ago, almost. But to answer your question, yeah, I always knew that I was going to be an author, wanted to be an author, and I made it happen. All right, so that just definitely was always on your vision board. Yeah. yeah. So, all right, you always want to be an author, Mm -hmm. like, what made you want to write the book you wrote? Well, no, backtrack, backtrack. Was this your first technical, technically book you ever wrote? Yep, this is the first book I ever wrote and published. Um, like I said, I've written uh, a number of short stories. Um, I was blogging. Well, I still am a blogger, but I was blogging before that for eight years. I just celebrated eight years in January at the top of this year. Um, I was writing for magazines in high school, so... In high school, I was a part of uh, True Star Magazine, which is an after-school program, after-school matters program that basically teaches the ins and outs of running a media company. So we had the editorial team, we had a marketing team, we had radio, we had graphic design, sales and marketing, like just all these different things that you teach to teenagers. And that's kind of like how I got my feet wet, um, really seeing that being a professional writer was actually something that was like feasible so starting off as a blogger was the transition to go from blogging to actually writing in a a real newspaper was that like a difficult transition um yeah kind of because as a blogger you really don't have any rules in a sense well you didn't back in the day like when i in 2012 you didn't really have blog like rules as far as like being a blogger it's not um certain a certain style or guideline that you have to follow and (laughs) when i in college was actually when i first started writing for newspapers um i wrote for my my college newspaper for a little bit before i got fired um we can't skip over that oh no we ain't gonna skip over it how you get fired i got fired because i was black oh okay like dead ass but no um I was the only black person, uh, black woman on top of that, in the newsroom. So I was like, I went to a predominantly white institution, um, only black person. And it was just, I I had a lot of eyes on me or whatever. And the unfortunate thing, it's it's like a double-edged sword. So the good thing about being the only black person in a newsroom is that you're the black voice or you're looked at as the black voice. But that's also a very a double-edged sword because people often feel like you're obligated to write about them and tell their stories just because they're black. Right. 
regardless if it makes sense or anything like that. Like, people love good publicity. And a lot of times, people, I think people look at black journalists as publicists. And we're not publicists. We're, we're journalists. So we, we're going to tell different types of stories. If you want, if you only want good news about you in the news or good media created around, around you, hire a publicist. So that was something I had to learn. Um, and then just, you know, just dealing with microaggressions as far as like being the only black person in the newsroom, it was not culturally diverse at all. Um, and me and my, the editor in chief at the time, we just got into it. (laughs) We got into it. Um, first it was, my stories weren't diverse enough. Then she accused me of, um, not holding up journalistic integrity by writing a story about someone that I allegedly worked for. I did not work for this person. Um, I simply sought them out. The black community is, tends to be very close um, at my alma mater. And I was known on campus for being a blogger, being a writer, being someone who is like super friendly and um, just like cool. Like I was just cool with a lot of people. So when this person was like, hey, I got this app coming out. Um, Can I get an interview about it? Yeah, I'll interview about it because that's dope as hell. Like I've never met a black person who made an app before at that time. These people started lurking my Twitter. Um, <laughs> they just like, just white people can be like incredibly um, insufferable, honestly. Uh, especially like if you are the only black right. person in that space. So, my, so first I got suspended because they felt like my stories weren't being diverse enough. When really they could have like took me under their wing and mentored me and said, hey, you know, you're really used to being a blogger, but this is how you be a journalist, right. you know. Um, and then it was the whole, oh, you, you're, 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 uh, you're not, you're not being honest about your connection, so we're gonna fire you. It sounds like they they plotted on you for a little while first with the suspension, and then they found a way to get you out the door. So speaking on that that situation, like. I don't know what it's like to be a black woman, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I know what it's like to be a black man. And I've never personally asked a black woman, like, the trials and tribulations that y'all go through on a daily basis, especially in a profession- professional well, work environment. <laughs> so, go ahead. So, um, being a black woman, it, it's it's weird in, in a professional space. Um, it's weird because we deal with both racism and sexism at the same time. Um, it's not anything that I could I can't take off my blackness or my womanhood you know because I identify as a woman I was born a woman I identify as a woman and it's it's constantly like a double-edged sword so in a professional space you're kind of you're either going to be tokenized or you're like they just like like really nitpicky and like I'm we from Chicago so we know when like people are being lame right when people you know like like y'all being lame as hell like you don't talk like that why are you trying to like I hate that with a fucking passion (laughs) and they always say they speaking proper like Mm -mm. no you're not no you're not you're changing your pitch and everything exactly like you're trying to appeal and now oh now everybody want to listen to hip-hop music in the damn in a damn office. Can I curse? Yeah, you can. Okay. Uh, in, a, in a newsroom or in the office or y'all want to name drop people or y'all want, like, y'all have questions about hair. Like, hair was probably, like, the biggest, um, biggest thing about being, like, the only uh, in a professional setting. Like, I used to work, um, I used to work in the office 
before I became the executive director. So we had something called, okay, we had something called the Student Programming Council. I started off as a secretary of the Student Programming Council office. I eventually worked my way up to being the executive director of the Student Programming Council. But before that, I was a secretary, and we used to have this, um, this white boss. And he just, like... He just used to, like, make some very underhanded uh, questions about my fro because I used to wear, around that time, like, for a little bit, I let my natural hair breathe a little bit. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to the office with a fro. It's the summertime. Like, I just need to let my hair breathe. What what seems normal to us, that's very normal to us. Like, of course, a black woman is not going to, like, have weaves and wigs and braids and stuff in all the time. But to white people, white people act like (laughs) you just a whole new person to them. Like, if I I got braids in today and if I come tomorrow, it's like, oh, my God, your hair. It's different. It's so different. (laughs) You look so different. And I think he asked me, like, something straight up, like, what you going to do with your hair? And I was like, excuse me? Or whatever, and just like dealing with stuff like that, it it can be incredibly annoying. Um, I've worked in nonprofit uh, spaces where I was the only one, and most of the nonprofits that I've worked for, they service um, inner inner city, essentially, and (laughs) just the questions with that, questions with that, um, just peeping how they move and it's like you're being tokenized and needless to say I'm glad I work for myself now because navigating a space as a black woman in professional in professional settings um it gets really nerve-wracking um if you're not sure of yourself you will question yourself a lot um and it's just annoying it's just at the end of the day it's just really really annoying and like I've never been someone who Wanted to conform, tried to conform. It was just like, you're going to take me as I am. But honestly, I don't even blame the black people who do conform because it's a survival technique, you know? Right. It's it's survival. So, yeah. All right, now, you've been through a little rocky start, you know what I'm saying, jumping into the journalistic field. Yep. And then you start writing for the Chicago Defender. I do. So, so how did that come about? So I am a member of this organization called Black Bloggers Chicago. It, it was founded by um, a woman named Danielle Sanders. And basically it's a network for those who are into blogging to connect with each other, um, have opportunities, support one another. Um, we have like quarterly meetups and stuff like that. Uh, we share resources with each other as far as that. Um, I'm like the youngest, honestly. I'm the youngest uh, in that organization. It's a lot of older people that are like in their 30s and their 40s. And uh, I think a couple of people are in like their 50s. Um, But Danielle somehow secured a partnership with the Chicago Defender because the Chicago Defender was looking for people to contribute to their website because they went digital. Like, I don't even think, I was just talking to my mom about this today because she was like, oh, I read your article, but do you get the do you get the newspapers? Do they still print? I said, I don't know if they still print the newspaper, but the Chicago Defender is, uh, it used to be called the Black Dispatch. Like, if you have older parents that are from Chicago, they know, oh, it's the Black Dispatch. But they also have it in, like, Detroit, Houston, New York, 
Atlanta, like all the major cities where black people are, they have um, the Defender like series. Yeah, I read something that said they was like the number two as far as like newspaper um, go. So, mm-hmm. And then they was number one as far as African-American mm-hmm. community. So I was like, damn. I yeah. knew the Chicago Defender was big, but mm-hmm. I didn't know it was like that big. Yeah, the history is like really, really amazing. Um, so Danielle secured that partnership. They wanted people to, um, contribute to the website. And so she presented it to us and I've been writing. I started writing for the defender. I want to say in January, like the, the, the deals were made in January. It's like, okay, it's about mm, maybe like 12 to 15 of us in, in the group. And we contribute, uh, content to them monthly. So that's really cool. All right. So I read your, um, your most recent article about um, Father Flager and him saying he wanted, well, saying that it should have been Chicago construction companies actually working in Chicago mm, neighborhoods. Black-owned businesses, so black-owned construction companies. Did you actually choose that article to write about? Yeah, so um, I had saw the status because I follow uh, follow Father Flager. And something that the Chicago Defender is really, really known, about, known for is their opinion pieces. Like, right. it their opinion pieces used to shake up some shit, you uh-huh. know, in the city. And I was just like, huh, this is interesting. Um, and so I talked to the president about it. She's like, yeah, go ahead. I was like, I never did an opinion piece for the defender before. It's usually I do profile pieces. I'm interviewing somebody. I'm doing profile pe- pieces. People are usually pitching me to, like, interview them or interview their client. Like, I know uh, quite a few um, publicists and different things like that. And so I was like... Let me let me just, you know, I want to explore this because it made a little noise on Facebook, but not a lot of noise, you know. And I, I do think it's um something interesting. Like, you know, if you are in a black neighborhood and you are trying to rebuild the neighborhood, why aren't you utilizing black-owned businesses, black-owned construction workers, um, just different things like that? Because I was doing some research, and it's uh, allegedly the black dollar only lasts about six hours in our community. That's problematic. So I I get where Father Flaker is coming from with that. Like, you know, he – I don't know why I do think that we can't – uh, start a business to get ourselves out of uh, oppression. Like, just having black-owned businesses is not the only thing that we could do to get ourselves out of this oppressed state that we're in. But it is one avenue. But I do feel like utilize who you have in your community. Put people right. to work in your community. You know, even though it is a Walgreens and that's a major corporation, that's not a black-owned, but people in on 79th where St. Sabina and stuff is, they utilize that. Like, Thanks. you know, and that's, that's they utilize those resources. And unless somebody is going to come in and build a black-owned thing that can compete with Walgreens or whatever the likes may be, I think it's important to utilize who you have in your businesses because there are a lot of people out of work. Um, and people can use that money. Thanks. You know, people can use that money, so... Now, with that being your first opinion piece, do you see yourself, well, was that something that you enjoy doing? And it's cracking now, right? Yeah, because it reminds me of, like, blogging days. Like, don't get me wrong. I love storytelling. Like, I'm a storyteller. I will tell you a story. Um, I love talking to people. I love getting to know them. I love learning 
what makes you tick? What, uh, you know, why are you doing this? You know, what makes you happy each day? Different things like that. But I also love sharing my opinions. And, you know, I love having friendly debates with people. Um, I like picking people brains. So I do see myself doing even more opinion pieces um, as time goes on. Now, with you basically becoming the voice of, of urban America, Chicago, <laughs> however you want to label it, you know what I'm saying? I Just off that, that, uh, that, that first piece, like what are some, some black businesses that you enjoy spending your money with? Oh, so many. Uh, let's, let's start with restaurants. Cause I love food. Um, as far as the restaurants go, yesterday my friends and I checked out Flav's. It, the, it's the salmon egg rolls for me because that, <laughs> oh my God, that, those are a hit. Um, Ain't She Sweet is pretty good on 43rd. I go to the one on 43rd, but I think it's one in Beverly as well. Um, they have a jerk salmon uh, wrap that is really, really good. Like, it's, I, I feel like I need to eat it every other day. Um, what else do I like? I like Soul Shack. I like Soleil. Um, it's this spot in Homewood called Sabrina's, the soul food spot. Um, Jamaican food is my fave, so shout out to Jerk Villa. Um, I love Jerk Villa. I love Jamaican food. But as far as um, clothes and stuff like that, I really, really like Sweat Spots too. Um, the Chicago girls hus hustle harder, uh, T. I really like, I like that. Um, I really like, who else do I wear? I wear a lot of stuff. Um, my friend Bree, she is a designer and she just dropped her first collection. She usually does, um, prom stuff and custom dresses, but Shop King B, she just dropped her collection and I just purchased, I purchased a couple items. Um, I love... So I really love like crystals, crystal jewelry, um, crystals in general, um, just a lot of spiritual things. Uh, so shout out to Hillversation on Instagram. Uh, they just gifted me with a care package like full of like 12, 14 crystals, different crystals and some of my favorites. Um, I really, really like sunglasses um i like supporting other authors so shout out to my uh my girl mimi jermisha um the busy uh brown girl she just uh she's working on her third book but she has two books out um so it's a lot <laughs> You just definitely just just rolled off a, a lot of names. It's a lot. I, I really, I was always a person, I'm a supportive person in general. So if I like what you're doing, and I'm going to shop with you. Right. And it's really simple to me. So, um, oh, yeah, shout out Brief, Brief Specific. I love candles. Her candles are amazing. She also has custom incense as well. Love, love, love it. Um, so it's a lot. Like, I, I'm just thinking, I got a vision in my head, and I'm looking in my <laughs> My house on like, damn, I have a lot of black-owned stuff, and that's how it should be. So how important is it for you to actually support your community like you're doing? Um, it's super important, uh, whether I know you or not. Um, I think if people are taking a risk to um, – if people are taking a risk to follow their passion – who would I be to not support, right. you know? 
Um, now, of course, nobody is obligated to support you. But like I said, if I like what you're doing, I like what you got going on, I'm going to support it. And it's really, it's it's not a big deal to me, you know, to do it. It's just, it's kind of like second nature for right. me, in a sense. Now, you know what I hate to hear? Because it's a lot of people in Chicago that's like you, that love supporting their people, that love spending their they money with black-owned businesses. Mm-hmm. But it's always people that's going to say, I'm not going to shop black because bad customer service. And you go to White Castle or something, and you get the same horrible service, yet you don't go on IG I think and what it that. Is, yeah, I think what it is is that black people, we unfortunately hold each other to some very interesting standards. Like like you just said, y'all will complain about somebody being late or um, – just different things like that, but you're not hitting up Walmart, Walgreens, Wendy's, White Castle. You're not doing that to them, and I think that's because a lot of black business owners are, fortunately and unfortunately, um, too accessible. Like we just too accessible. Like you could literally follow somebody on Instagram and purchase from them, or go to their website, or you friends with them on Facebook or Twitter, and you you can literally harass them. Like, right. hey. Where's my order? I get I, <laughs> I get so many uh questions about oh where's my book where's my book? And it's like okay once I ship this book off, it's I don't control. it's out of my control as far as you know how fast it's gonna come to you but it's coming to you. Right. Um, and then the other thing is like yeah that is annoying you know that people don't be wanting to shop black. It's just like okay well this may have been your experience but. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't shop black just because you had this one negative experience. Now, I will say as far as like customer service goes, like I think as a black business owner, we could work on communication. We can work on um, our accessibility. Um, a lot of a lot some black businesses underestimate their capacity, so they they are like really understaffed but you have to understand like the scale of it is some of these businesses are family ran and operated um some some people are one man shows you know Next. so <laughs> it's like we we have to bring compassion back into shopping and buying black and then another uh, another argument that i have to buying black though is that it's not always accessible for people because when people start businesses they have a certain target market in mind they have a certain niche if it does not include all black people why are we steady pushing this narrative that, oh, everybody needs to shop black, shop black, shop black. Like, right. let's talk about grocery stores, for example. So now, of course, you know, with everything that's going on in the world, everybody's like, oh, we got to shop black. Um, and, you know, it's starting with our grocery stores. And I was just like, hey, okay, yeah, great. But a lot of us live in food deserts. Facts. A lot of us live in food You don't got caught in. Exactly. At a certain time, it's over with. Exactly. So it's kind of just like you going to go and deliver some groceries to Granny in the Hood or you just going to type your fingers on this internet and be like, well, if you ain't buying black, blah, blah, this, blah, blah, that. You have to – there is a certain level of elitism 
and classism that comes with being able to shop and buy black because it's not accessible for everybody. It's not obtainable for everybody. Right. It's just not. And I had challenged somebody on that because I'm just like, and they, and of course nobody had an answer for me. And I, you have to think about it. Now, the people that I was in conversation with, college educated, they have nice jobs, work in marketing, like work for different like marketing firms and different things like that. And it's just like, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, you could get in your car and drive 30, 40 minutes away to the nearest black-owned grocery store. But like, what about the people who live on the low end or in the hundreds or, you know, in Auburn Gresham or Chatham? If my grocery store is up the street at Walgreens or Jules, that's where I'm going. It's not because we're not shopping black because we don't like black people or we don't, you know, trust them. Some of us are like that, though, and that's just weird as hell to me. Because, right. But that, that's what you call Some people just believe the white man's water is colder, which is some weird shit. But Preach. I get it. <laughs> like, I get it because that's, like, internalized, like, anti-blackness. So uh-huh. I get why some people think like that, but that's the stuff I don't, I don't mess with. But people aren't, are not choosing to not shop black because they don't like black people sometimes convenience is important and i that's the hill that i'm willing to down convenience is important and unless somebody gonna come in and pick up these families and take them to the grocery store or build one since everybody want to put their money together and talk about how we need this that and third and build one to plop in the middle of the hood i don't want to hear it (laughs) like you say i think now it's a a super weird time to be black period Mm -hmm. Because now it's like everybody is pandering to us. Everybody is like, oh, Black Lives Matter. And we know it's not true. Mm-hmm. Like, it seems like everything come down to the bottom line, no matter how big or little a company is. Mm-hmm. Even with, um, like, on Juneteenth. Like, I realized if I had some Juneteenth flags, I would have made a killing that day. Because yep. people was pulling up, like, where the flags at. Mm-hmm. Um, damn, that's a that's some money to be made off what currently is the black struggle yeah and it's crazy how we now are like okay yeah i'm black i'm beautiful Mm -hmm. and you always were black and you always was beautiful so yeah i think it i think it's cool juneteenth was lit okay it was was so lit i I ain't never seen nothing like that i had a ball like and you know what i think it's okay for us to be woke up it's never too late to tap into like who you are, what your history, what your culture is. It's never too late because you got to think about it. We didn't learn about Juneteenth in school. Fact. I never heard of Juneteenth ever. I didn't. I didn't. I have not heard. Of Ju- I heard of Juneteenth in college, and the reason why I heard about it was because my minor was Africana studies. So I wanted to study black people because I thought it was lit, and I wanted to get more in tune with my culture. And I was influenced by the show, my favorite show, A Different World. Saw an episode, they were in the black studies class, and I was like, hmm. Here I was, a freshman, second semester freshman. I was just like, you know what? Sign me up. Like, I want to see what's to it. Best decision I ever made, decided, you know what? I like this stuff so much because I really, really like history. Um, I'm going to just minor in it. Like, I'm minor in it. Why not? You know? And that was fun. But it's you. it's never too late to, like, tap into who you are, what your culture is. Like, I never shame people for, like, not knowing certain things. Like, I was just having a conversation with my mom this morning. And she was just like, you know, I really, and she don't do social media. She didn't go to college. So she was just like, you know, I would, I, it's so much stuff. Like, I just did not know about 
you know, my culture and our culture and just different things like that. And she's like, I just feel bad because I feel like I'm too old to not know these things. I said, no, you're not too old. Like, mine, you was born in 1968. You grew up in the 70s and the 80s. They were not teaching. They definitely wasn't teaching none of this in school. Party, party, party. Exactly. They weren't teaching any of this in school. Your your parents came from the South, migrated to the North. So it's kind of just like they probably did not know because Juneteenth in particular – it's really particular to Texas because from what I was reading, it's the day that the slaves in Texas were informed, like, oh, yeah, the Emancipation Proclamation was signed two years prior. You're technically free. But as I was telling my mom this morning, slavery never really got technically abolished because we still have mass incarceration, the prison industrial complex. And then really, if you think about it, like the 13th Amendment, but then there's a clause in there like, yes, slavery is illegal unless you do a crime. And if you do a crime, you're going to jail and we're going to jail labor. So, but you're never too old. Never too old to know. All right, let's, let's switch it up a little bit. I was on your, uh, on your IG and you made a statement. It said, I own every part. No, it said, you own every part of your self-love journey, Mm -hmm. including the Mm fuck-ups. So can you explain the the importance of accepting your personal mistakes? Um, It's important. Like, you shouldn't hold it. And this is something, like, I am in therapy about and learning. Like, it is important to not hold your past against you. You don't have to make yourself a prisoner for past mistakes you're gonna make mistakes the journey of loving yourself is not easy it's very hard um you're gonna slip up (laughs) I have slipped up and you know if because and it made me feel the type of way because I'm just like yo you know uh I'm supposed to be like promoting this self-love journey and all this self-love stuff but like here I am still messing up and then it's just like well is it perfect? Is it going? Do you have to be perfect? And I'm just like, no, I don't got to be perfect. It's like, okay, well then you need to own every part of your journey because that just what makes it more real. Nobody is up and deciding like, okay, yo, I'm a practice self love, and I'm always get it right every single time. It is a journey, and I, like most journeys, we have setbacks, we have bumps in the roads, um, we have just like all these different things, you know. And I had to learn how to own all of that has because the end that is what makes me love myself even more because I love myself to acknowledge my growth but also acknowledge like where I'm still struggling at and that's okay let's jump right into the book now now what made you say I want to write this love letter to myself so in 2016 um so it's called write yourself a love letter challenge um I was an undergrad Summer of 2016, I was 22, um, and I was taking a class on social media and basically how people evaluate, or I had to evaluate how people interacted with social media, which is funny because later on, um, I got into like social media management, just different things like that. But I was taking this class. It was a random summer class that I needed just to like get some credits. It right. it really didn't even have anything to do with my major at the time. And so my instructor wanted us to basically do some type of social experiment on a platform and basically analyze like how people 
interacted with it or responded to it. So around that time, I had been blogging for four years. And I was just like, okay, I know I want to use my blog for something. Because um, this would be easy. And <laughs> and then um, I was like, but what do I, like, what do I do, right? So I was looking on Facebook, and I noticed at that time, people were, like, doing a lot of challenges. So, like, you had your real hair challenge. You had your no-makeup challenge, like, post-your-plate challenge, post-your-baby-daddy challenge. Like, just all these challenges. But I didn't see anybody uh, talking about self-love or, you know, what it meant to love yourself. Like, we talk about relationships all day long on, you know, social media. But, like, I ain't really see nobody, especially, like, in my age range like I didn't really see anybody like talking about self-love so I was like you know what I like to write um I understand the practice of journaling and how it is a very good um mental health and self-care uh exercise I'm gonna write I'm gonna do something called write yourself a love letter challenge and basically what you had to do was post a picture of yourself write a love letter like start it off you gotta address it so to kia from kia love kia you know um so you would like replace my name with like yours or whatever and like you would write nice things about yourself that was the only rule like you couldn't talk down on yourself like you just had to write nice things it sounds so simple (laughs) right it sounds really really simple but it was so hard for a lot of people to do because I was asking them to be vulnerable, number one. I was asking them to be public and vulnerable, right. number two. And a lot of the truth is, a lot of people are not really used to speaking life into themselves. They're not used to saying nice things to themselves. They don't know where to start. There's some people just simply do not know how to journal. Like, what do you mean, write down my feelings and my thoughts? Why would I do that? Right. People like people are not used to that. They they they're not used to it. And uh, it it went kind of viral on Facebook. Like, a lot of people participated in it. Like, a lot. And they, oh, and they had to tag me. So, and then it, it kicked off. That's what kind of, like, kicked off this whole write yourself a little letter challenge thing. So, um, while I was in college, I volunteer. I used to volunteer for an organization called the Women's Center. And it was an organization that served women their partners, non-offending partners, and children who were survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault. And uh, one of the directors of the Women's Center, she reached out to me. She was like, hey, I saw your love letter uh, thing on Facebook. And she was like, "Um, can you, like, host a workshop where we have the women uh, write a love letter to themselves. uh, And it was on Valentine's Day, Valentine's Day, 2017. So that was like the first time I was like, oh, okay. And so we, it wasn't how it usually is, um, which I'll get to in a minute. But um, so we talked about self-love. A lot of the women, women shared like their stories of, you know, just overcoming. Like it was a lot of domestic violence, uh, survivors in there so like overcoming and like learning to love themselves and putting the pieces back together and like how how they feeling like on valentine's day which is heavily marketed towards couples how does it feel to like be single and alone and you know now they just got it's themselves or them and them kids and you know it was like it was it was interesting so and then they wrote love letters to themselves some people did poems some people sang songs like it was beautiful Later that year in 2017, I graduated. I moved back home to the city. 
and um I wanted to like get reacclimated to the city because when I left the city, I was known as Queen K, your hip hop blogger, you know, the person who interviewed King Louie, Katie Gap Benz, you know, just like all these different, you know, up and coming Chicago artists. But through and while I was in college, I rebranded because I was just like, uh, moving away from like this hip hop blogger, like I don't really I like it no more. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I just, you know, I wanna like I wanna give people the real because people are like going through real stuff. So I rebranded into Kia Smith Rights. And so I was just like, I really wanna do something. I really wanna do something. I wanna have an event, but I don't know what to do. And so in 2018, I got the I the my ideas just randomly pop in my head and I write them down. And so I'm thinking one night, and I was like, I really want to do something. And then uh, it just popped into my head. Bring, write yourself a love letter challenge to life. Like, bring it to life as a, as a self-love workshop. Like, you've been to events. You, you planned events all throughout college. Like, you know how to plan events. Like, you could do this. I was just like, I am really scared, self. Right. And myself said, so what? We're going to do it anyway. And that's pretty much how all my decisions start. Like, I really be scared about a lot of the things that I do, but I just do it anyway. That's the good side of being impulsive, kicking in. But, um, so 2018, I was like, okay, going to have an event. It's going to be a self-love workshop. I'm going to ask people questions. We're going to talk about it in this safe space. We're going to be vulnerable. And then at the end, you got to write a love letter to yourself. And you got to read it out loud. So again, that's the hard, hard, that was, hard, yeah, that part. was the hard part. That was the hard part. But it did well. My first event, it was cool. Um, it did well. Um, twenty nineteen, I had it on my twenty fifth birthday, and uh, it was bigger. It was better. Uh, it was a sold out event. Um, we had drinks, <laughs> food, uh, and it was it was good. Like it was good. And then. This past March, March 15th, right before Rona said we couldn't go nowhere, um, I had my, I had it the third year in a row. But as far as the book, so like I said, I always knew that I would be an author. So the idea for the book, uh, I knew I wanted to write one. And I was like, I really want to write one. I remember praying, like, wow, God, like, I really, really want to write one. And I don't know what I wanted to be about. And then it's like God kind of whispers to me, write yourself a love letter challenge, like bring it to life right. or whatever. And I was just like, okay, well, so I'm like, what do I put? You know, what do I put in here? Like, do I talk about my own self-love journey? And I remember opening up the Google Doc November 30th, 2018, and I finished uh, April 2nd, 2020. So, um, and it wasn't. My process, uh, people ask me all the time, like, what's your writing process? Like, I think because I've been a writer for so long, it w- it's not difficult writing. What was difficult for me was focusing and finishing, which is important. Like, I could put words together, but getting me to sit down and... You get sidetracked easily. Oh, super easy. Two I had to... turn into two months. Exactly. I My original, my original plan was... Oops, my, Original, oops. No, you good. Okay. My original plan, my original plan was to um, release it on my birthday, which is March 17th. I wanted to release it on my birthday this year. But uh, 
I did not meet my deadline. I was bullshitting. <laughs> because around the time, like, I had, I started a new job um, that, I, that I eventually got laid off of, but that's okay. Um, started a new job, was having my event, and event planning season is so, like, it's stressful. Like, because... I had secured my I secured my venue in December and January and then I got fired from a nonprofit that I was working for. Um then I started a new job. But then Rona came. So two weeks into starting a new job, oh, you gotta work from home. Then like three weeks after no, two weeks after working from home, oh, y'all getting laid off. So, <laughs> so it's like, so, but getting me to sit down, like, so started in November of 2018, started writing, probably did not touch it for like a year. I ain't really even get serious about uh, meeting the first deadline until like October of 2019, where I was writing, like, I was adding to it, adding to it, adding to it. Um, and then late March it kind of kicked in I was just like yeah okay I'm I'm ready now like I let's get it so um I took my time but I had to leave I left social media like for five days like and my friends helped did a really great job of holding me accountable like they'll see me like lurking be right. like I, I, you, you supposed like to be writing <laughs> yeah they be like no you need to be writing you supposed to be writing do not come back in the group chat until you are finished you tell us it's finished and so I finished at like twelve thirty-two in the morning, April second. I was like, "Wow, it's finished!" And it didn't hit me until like I saw I ordered the author's copy. Like they give you a proof of what your book's gonna look like before like you press publish on Amazon. Because I went through Amazon, and they were just like, it felt real. I was like, "Wow, I really sat up here and I wrote a whole book." Like, I really wrote a book. And I was just like, and it, then it dawned on me again. I was like, wow, you, like, completed a lifelong goal. Like, this was one of your biggest goals, and, like, you did it. Published I, author. I'm an author. Like, different. and that's what I am. Like, I'm an author. And it was just like, that's crazy. Like, it's really crazy. It still feels really, really surreal. But um, that is the story of how things came to be, how I am now an author. Now, let me ask you, is your book, guy friendly it is guy friendly so what's crazy is all my stuff is like i created with women in mind because i am a woman but the guys gravitate towards me and i don't know if it's because guys can relate to me guys feel safe exp being vulnerable i really don't know what it is how i attracted this male audience i know where they're where they originally came from because when i was a hip-hop blogger you know the hip hop field is help like male dominated. So, you know, who is this and it was back in the day it was who is this girl that's interviewing all these rappers? You know, like let me tap in. Like let me get in tune. And then um they the audience kind of just like stayed with me and grew. Like I love having conversations with men about all types of stuff. We could talk about anything. And um to answer your question, yep, it's guy friendly. It's a lot of it's so with my book, what you'll see is um. Here you go. Uh, what you'll see is you'll see that I have love letters. So my old love letters that I wrote to myself over the years, and then I have questions 
for the reader to um, answer, and you could write in this. Like, you could write in this. So that's why I, suggest, I always suggest for people to get the paperback version. It is available on Kindle. But get the paperback version because you need to feel it. You need to see it. You need to. It's like a journal, essentially. That's why it's called a part journal, a part manifesto, because you can write in it. You could, you're going to be self-reflecting, you know, and then you're going to. A manifesto is a declaration, a statement. So you're reading basically my declaration, my journey, a little bit of my journey into self-love and loving myself. All right. Now, you just spoke on how easy it is for you to have conversations with men about some of everything, which brings me to Venus versus Mars. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's, you started a, a IG Live show. Yep. Did you see it as an important thing to give both men and women that platform to be open and honest with each other? Absolutely. Because I just think about my friends. Like, we have conversations about literally any and everything. And it's kind of just like, I, I think it's important for people to see like you know it doesn't always people think like oh this show typical battle of the sexes debate i'll just it's not your average one because number one like if i'm talking to one of my friends is my friends probably do something that's very important so i'm sharing my platform with them number two i love picking brains so like let's see how you think about these things like what do you think about these things like we have conversations about everything right what do you think about this what do what do how do other people feel about this? You know, and it's not of uh oh I'm right you're wrong different things like that, but it's more of a let's see where our heads are, and see if we could just understand each other. I think it's very important to like just try to understand people, um, especially the opposite sex. <laughs> All right, so if. You could go back and tell yourself, like younger you, if you can give yourself any advice, what would it be? If I could give myself any advice, um, hmm, this is such a great question. I would tell myself that I don't have to conform to fit other people's desires of me, fantasies of me. Like, I could just be myself, essentially, and don't try to be what I think other people would like. And it took me a very, very long time to, like, get comfortable in my own skin and comfortable being being myself because sometimes the people around us try to influence us to be things or to dim our lights just to make themselves feel comfortable. And, like, I, that was something I picked up on very, very early. But instead of pushing back on that and saying, yo, like, I don't I don't care what you like <laughs> or how you – I don't care what how you think I should be. I'm This is me, and I'm okay with me, and if you don't like it, you can leave. And that goes for any and everybody, moms, dads, cousins, boyfriends, any and everybody – it doesn't matter. So I would tell myself, just be like, it's super cliche, but be yourself. Um, because I never really had an issue with like believing in myself. Um, when it came to my dreams and stuff, I'm very impulsive. So it's kind of just like, oh, I'm scared, but I'm gonna do it anyway. So it's not, I can't say that like fear held me back, but I was very, I used to be very uncomfortable with like just 
being myself and being comfortable with myself and being vocal about um, who I am and what I'm about. So, I appreciate you for for coming through, chopping it up with me. Can you let the people know where they can find you, where they can get your book, where they can find everything that Kia has going on? Okay, so if you the best way to get in contact with me is social media. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Kia Smith Writes. It's the same handle across both. Um, I post a variety of content. You never know what you're gonna get. Um, but uh, I mean, I'm a real person, so and I I understand that like I'm very multifaceted. And again, with the conforming thing, I'm not going to be like what you think a blogger should be like, what you think an author should be like, what you think a journalist should be like. I'm just going to be me. Um, so you could you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Kia Smith Writes. My book is available on Amazon, but it's also available on my website. Now, the best thing about ordering from my website, if you order from my website, your book will be personally signed by me. Uh, I write everybody a message, um, basically thanking them to for supporting me and buying my book. Uh, and it also comes in a custom Kia Smith Writes bag. So, uh, yeah, with, like, my logo on it. So you can uh, buy my book from kiasmithwrites.com, and it's on, uh, it's on Amazon, too. All right. I, once again, I appreciate you for coming through, chopping it up for me. This has been another episode of Conversations with Jay. Thanks for having me. No doubt. Yo, yo, it's the Big Pod, Swain Session Podcast. Hey, check us out on the Illinois app right now.